and I want to share with you some thoughts from Mark chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 20. That's where we are in our study, Mark chapter 5. Now, this is a, <clears throat> a story that some of you may be familiar with if you uh, know about the, uh, the gospel stories. Uh, this is one that a lot of people would have, been know- would have known about. Uh, often, he, this man is referred to as the maniac of Gadara. Um, so that's how a lot of people would know him or know this story. Uh, so this is a man who is, uh, he's possessed of a demon and all this. So it's, it's a, it's a fairly well-known story. So we'll, we'll talk about that, but I don't want to emphasize what's wrong with this man too much, although we will certainly, uh, see some of that and we will talk about some of that, what's wrong with him. But I want to make sure you hear that the emphasis should be on what Jesus does to this man. So that's what we're going to look at for just a few minutes. Um, Matthew or Matthew, that's my name. I'm Matthew Mark chapter five. So if you've got a copy of God's word, why don't you go ahead and open that up? Uh, we will, uh, <clears throat> I won't take the time to sort of read it front to back right here, uh, with you, but I uh, will make mention of a few verses, call your attention to some things and make sure that you have it. So it'll be good if you can open up your copy of God's word. I, I do intend this to be a Bible study. I, I hope that I'm able to share some good thoughts with you uh, that maybe encourage you, maybe uh, gives you some insight into the passage. But I think the real value is if you will open up the scripture, uh, maybe even before you listen to me, maybe you hear what the God has to say, and then you can come and listen to what I have to say about it. And then maybe uh, see what the Lord is going to speak to you, uh, how he's going to speak to you on this thing. So, Make sure you're participating. I think that's that's the point is make sure you're participating. And I would definitely encourage, I haven't done this lately, but I'll definitely encourage any of you that are watching or listening in, uh, drop a comment if you've got a question. Um, if you've got something to add, please, by all means, do that. And I'll make sure to try to call attention to it if I see that coming through. But I just want to encourage you that it's a little bit of a one-way street here just because of the, the nature of this uh, this media. But I do want to encourage you as much as you're able to, certainly on your own, read and study this so you get what you need out of it, but also as much as you want to interact, I'm definitely here for it. So uh, hopefully you will participate in that way if you have the the desire and the opportunity. We'll start by praying as we often do, as we always do rather, uh, because this is a holy book written written by God, given to us by God. So um, we have no hope of understanding it apart from him. So I'm going to just take a minute and ask him to help me uh, understand and help you to understand as well. Would you pray with me, please? Uh, Lord, I'm asking you to use this moment, this, this few minutes that we have together. Draw our hearts to your word. Help us to listen to what is being said here. Help us to be encouraged by it. And Lord, help us to submit to it. I, I pray that for every person who's listening or watching this, that they will um, be open to what you're teaching them. Certainly, I, I hope I can be a help to that, but I pray that they will hear your voice. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we were looking at the, the passages just before that. I think we were starting around verse 35 of chapter 4. And in verse 35, Jesus makes a promise. And that was the whole emphasis last time. But he makes a promise. He says, let us pass over unto the other side. And we talked a lot last week, appropriately so, about when Jesus makes the promise that we're going to pass over, what's going to happen. And that's what we talked about. But now we're going to see why he passed over to the other side. And you're going to see in the first 20 verses, there's a man who's been overrun by demonic forces. 
In fact, you'll see him in chapter five and verse one, he's, he's on the other side of the sea. So now he has fulfilled his promise. He's gotten to the other side in this country of the Gadarenes, which is why he, this man is often called the maniac of Gadara. Um, he's the uh, one who's been overrun by demons. And when he gets there, he's, he's come out of the ship. Immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So the one reason we know that Jesus had to get to the other side is he needed to help this man. Now, you'll also see later on that Jesus meets a couple of other people in the rest of chapter five. He heals. He, he brings a little girl to life. So he's got he's got more work he's going to do on this side of the of the of the of the Sea of Galilee. But just know that he said, I'm going to get to the other side. And there was a reason there's a man here that needs his help. Now, I want to go ahead and tell you, here's a man, just go look at this in verse two. He's in the tombs. He's got an unclean spirit. He's been dwelling among the tombs, verse three. No man could bind him. No, not with chains. Um, I think it's over in uh, verse five. He says he's day and night in the mountains and the tombs, crying, cutting himself with stones. I mean, this guy's in pretty rough shape. He's, he's absolutely in bad shape here. But I want to go ahead and tell you the end of the story. After all of this, he has an encounter with Jesus, which we'll, we'll come back and talk about in detail. But he has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus takes the demons out of this man. And then in verse 15, we see an image here. Remember in verse 1, or rather verse 2 and 3, he, he's running around the tombs and he's cutting himself and all these terrible things that he's doing. But in verse 15, the next scene you see of this man they come to Jesus and they see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they, these townsfolks, they were afraid. It was, it was kind of a scary sight. Here's a man that they knew him as that crazy man who's acting wild and crazy and clearly possessed of the devil. And then Jesus shows up. He has an encounter with Jesus and Jesus restores him to sanity, restores him to, he's clothed. I mean, apparently this man would run around naked in the, in the graveyard and people were just not sure what to make of him. But now that Jesus shows up, he completely changes him, changes him. But I, I think the lesson here that I want to emphasize, there, there's many others, but I want to emphasize for you. The lesson here is a lesson on sin. Now the headline that I'm putting on this is that Jesus restores what sin destroys. Don't lose sight of that fact that the restoration comes at the hands of Jesus. That's important. But in that process of getting to that point, do you got We got to come to grips. And I, and I want to make this very personal to me, very personal to you. We've got to come to grips with a couple of facts about our sin. The first fact is, and we'll see it in this man's life, is that you're never going to get control over your sins. I think we I think we lie to ourselves. I lie to myself. Like, hey, I, you know, that, that thing that I don't like about myself or that sin that's a temptation for me, just you know, let me try one more time. I'm going to get a hold of this thing. I want you to see that you, you're not going to get control of this. Just look at this man's life. In verse 3, it says that no man could bind him, no, not with chains. I mean, here's a man that they would actually chain down. And they couldn't bind him. They would say, because he had often been bound with fetters, this is verse four, and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broke in, broken in pieces. And, and I know that he's, he is dealing with a different kind of sin than many of you have dealt with. So I, I'm not trying to compare his sin to mine or anything like that. 
but I can tell you that there's a common feature of our sin and our sin, our temptation, our draw to sin, our sin nature. You know what that common feature is? I don't care how high the wall, I don't care how thick the chain, I don't care how many times somebody said you ought not or ought to or whatever, no matter what the rules, regulations, and boundaries are, what's going to happen is we are in left to our natural devices, we're going to break through all of those barriers and do what we know to be wrong. Here's a man is, is living proof of that. They would literally chain, physically chain him down and he would just break free of it. In fact, you could actually see that the demons, it says in verse two, I think it is, it says there that, uh, that he has this unclean spirit, this unclean spirit, this demonic presence controlled him. In fact, in verse five, it tells him that he's cutting himself with stones. I, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not, I'm not a doctor, so I don't understand all of how the human body works. I understand that, but just common sense tells me you don't want to be cutting yourself, not with a stone, if any. I mean, I mean, I don't even want to do it with anything, but definitely not with a rock. Why would you do that? Because there's something else controlling you, doing, causing you, encouraging you to do this. And, and even if you go down to verse six, so he's cutting himself with stones, verse five. And then he sees Jesus in verse six and says he runs towards him and worships him. And then he cries out. So he goes up to Jesus and he cries out to Jesus. He says, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now, the question becomes here, and if you read this, well, actually, let's read the rest of it. So he says to Jesus, hey, <clears throat> what have I got to do with you? Uh, you're, I'm, I'm begging you not to torment me. Verse 8, and Jesus, this is he said unto him, Jesus said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, he says, what is thy name? And the man answers. He answers saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, if you're listening to what he's saying here, you start to see where does this man begin and where does he end and where does the demon begin and end? It, it starts to be, and I think I think Mark's language is purposeful here in that you even see him, that the demon even saying when you, he is using these this sort of uh, plural pronouns, we are many. He's using that kind of language because he's trying to get us to see here who's literally ask the question, who's speaking? Is it the devil or is it the man? And I think the line becomes very blurry between is it the sin controlling him or is it the man making these decisions? And I just want to make sure that you understand your own sin. And let's, let's look ourselves spiritually speaking, in the eye and say, listen, man, Matthew, or whatever your name is, what is going on here? With that sin comes up in your sane moments, you're going to look at that sin and say, that's wrong. I ought not do it. But then at that, whatever that, however that circumstance is just right for you to participate in that. Maybe it's anger and the circumstances just make you angry, or you, maybe you like to gossip and maybe the circumstances are right. So somebody says something and it just, oh, trips you into gossip, or maybe there's a sexual uh, desire, or wh whatever the thing happens to be. And it, her sins are so many, right? I think we can look ourselves in the eye and say, listen, left to my own devices, I'm just going to do that thing. That's how my body is wired. My mind is wired to be that kind of person. And the question then becomes, what is in control here? Is it me in control or is that sin controlling me? 
Because I think we all think we can control our sin until it crushes us. The addict, he says, hey, I can quit. I can quit drinking. I can quit smoking that stuff. I can quit injecting anytime I want to. I can quit looking at that pornography. I can quit it anytime I want to. The liar, he says, you know, I can I can make the world around me believe certain things about me. I, I can do that. The religionist, he says, I'm going to I'm going to be a, such a good person that I'm going to control my destiny. The point is that we think we can control it. But what happens? That addict, he loses his job because he can't show up to work on time because he's been high the whole time. That liar, he thought he was letting he was fooling everybody, but nobody's fooled by it. That religionist who's trying his best to to do his religion in order to to get to heaven or earn favor with God. At the end of life, he's going to realize, no, 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 (laughs) that's not how that works. You have to trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. We think we can control our sins, but what ends up happening is our sins. Actually, what we're doing is we're opening a portal. We're opening a door and allowing those sins and that's that demonic uh, influence into our lives and it ultimately tries to take control, and it does take control. We can't control it. So we're, I want to make sure we come to that realization first, and I think that's where this man was. He could not con- get control over his sins, and you need to know that you can't get control over your sins. You're also going to never – Second, second thing we need to observe is that we're never going to be accepted in our sins. In verse 3, he's day and night, or night and day, he's out up in the mountain, and he's in the tombs crying and cutting himself. I think it's pretty clear the town folk don't want him. He might have, I don't know. In fact, in verse um, verse 19, there's a reference Jesus makes to this man having some friends. So he probably has some friends, maybe some family in the town. But everybody that knows him, and even people who don't know him but just know of him, it's clear to me they've run him off. They say, go up into the tomb. We don't want you around here. And he's just hanging out in the graveyard. And, and in fact, he even pushes away people who would help him. Verse six, he sees Jesus. And that's why I think this is why Jesus has come is to help this man. He sees Jesus. He runs to him. But that demon in him immediately says, ha, that's Jesus. And we got to watch out for Jesus. You don't want to be around Jesus. So he is pushing away even those people who would help him. And what sin does to us is it degrades us. It humiliates us. As the old saying, there's sort of an old poem that goes something, and I'm going to misquote it. I shouldn't even try to quote it. But anyhow, um, it's something about sin takes you farther than you want to go with a price that's higher than you want to pay. That's exactly how sin operates. Even pay attention to this. So when, when, when Jesus tells the spirit, get out, he, the spirit introduces itself as legion, verse 9, and the, the spirit, legion, is begging in verse 10. It besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. So here's this demon arguing, bargaining with Jesus. He said, please don't let me go. Please don't send me out of here. So I want to stay here. Why does he want to stay there? Well, in, in, um, in uh, verse, I lost my place here. In verse 11, it says that they're, they're near the mountain with a great herd of swines feeding. And the devil besought him, so it's begging him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. Now, what's going to happen is Jesus is going to say, okay, fine, you can go get in those those pigs. And what's going to happen when they get into those pigs is they're going to run them off a cliff and kill them. 
This is what sin does. It doesn't improve your life. It doesn't make things better. Sin wants to hurt. It wants to destroy. When, in this case, these demons can no longer hurt the man, because Jesus says, you can't be in there anymore. They want to harm something else. In this case, pigs. That's what they want to do. And, and, and all of this, I believe, is done. The sin that we pursue is done whether we get it or not, it's a whole other question. That's what I'm trying to argue, that you're not going to get it. But it's done in an effort to get acceptance. I mean, we see this in very visible ways with uh, things like the homosexual movement and the, the transgender movement. What, you know, Whatever you think about all of that, one of the things that is a marker of those people is that they are trying to get the larger culture and you individually to accept what they're doing. And I think we all do this on some level. When it, you know, my it's, my, it's my sin. It's not that bad. It doesn't hurt that many people. And in fact, a lot of people do what I do. So it's not that bad. That's how we do it. And we want to, as they say, normalize our stuff so that people can look at it and say, oh, he's a pretty good old Joe. He just gets mad sometimes. He just, you know, he might, he might take a little extra money that he doesn't deserve sometimes. You know, we want to we justify it so we are accepted. But I want to just ask you to, to, to self-evaluate. Self how much do you need? How much do you need before you're accepted? How much money do you need to take? How much stuff do you need to accumulate? How much lewdness or perversity or nudity do you need to participate in? How much promiscuity do you need to have marking your life? How much surgery do we need? weight loss or muscle gain or how much partying and how many emotional highs or even physical highs do we need to take on? Why do we do these things? I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. Again, you don't have to, you do not have to confess anything to me, but I think an honest assessment of why people generally, and you and I specifically do these sinful activities, why do we do them? We do them because they, we think it's going to make our lives better. It's going to make people think better of us. We're going to get more friends, people like us. But all of those things are going to leave you as an outcast, just like they did for this man, leave you as an outcast for the by the very people that you're seeking to impress, that you're seeking to have uh, accept you. You'll never be accepted in your sin. In fact, your sin will take you further away from being accepted by people that you want to be accepting. And, and, and I think we sometimes will even lie to ourselves and say, well, you know, we're okay. Well, the fact is you might be okay in some level, but your sin has pushed you to a place where not even you're satisfied with it. Uh, lastly, I want to acknowledge, I want you to acknowledge with me that we'll never be useful in our sins. Remember this man's life before he meets Jesus. And you can look back in, in um, chapter five verses, um, about to sneeze, excuse me. Ah, in chapter five, <laughs> I think it went away. Uh, chapter five, verses uh, two through uh, five. Um, you can see what that man's life looks like. He, he, his home is a graveyard. Everywhere he goes, he's wreaking havoc. He's making loud noises. He's inflicting self-harm. I mean, this is his lifestyle. This is, this is how people know him. This is who he is. And I think, in our, I think, I act like that's just my opinion. 
I know that in our sin, we think we're having a good time, but fail to see that we're wasting time, we're hurting people, we're harming our body, we're harming our mind, we're harming our souls, and we're definitely not making ourselves or anybody else for that matter happier. At best, and I will grant this because even the scripture grants this, that there is pleasure in the sin for a moment, for a season. But in the long run, it doesn't help us. It doesn't make us smarter, richer, faster, bigger, better, kinder, nicer, sweeter. It doesn't do any of those things for us. So we need to come to grips. And this is this is the bad news part. I'm going to get to the good news in just a second. But you got to get to the bad news first. got to start there. You're never going to get control of your sin. You're never going to be accepted in your sin. You're never going to be useful in your sin. It's going to do nothing but make you worse. But then Jesus shows up. Verse 15, I want to read that with you. Now, after all this happens, they come to Jesus. And this is the, I believe the townspeople have now come and they found Jesus and this man. And they see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion. He's sitting and he's clothed and he's in his right mind. Now, here's a man who no one could control. But what is he doing now? He's got dominion over himself. He's actually able to sit there, probably focused in on a conversation with Jesus and and to, to do so in a respectful manner. He's able to have dominion over his own body. Here's a man who, he, he was a wild man. People talked about him. He did crazy things like cutting himself in the, in the, in the uh, t- cemetery. He would, he would run around the tombs, the tombs at, at day and night. He was making, what does it say there? He was uh, crying. He was making loud noises. I mean, and, and as best as I can tell, my interpretation is I believe the man was 99% of the time without any clothing on because I think it was notable in verse 15 that he is not only seated, but he is clothed. So we've got a man who has, I mean, there's just, he, he is, he is absolutely, um, he's, he's degraded in every way that a human would be degraded, but now he is seated. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. Here's a man who was completely a, in a degraded state, but now has dignity. He's out. He's actually has dignity. People look at him and he looks like a respectable man. Why? Because he met Jesus. He's in his right mind. In fact, in, later on in, in uh, verse 17 or rather in verse 18, he asked Jesus, hey, can I can I stay with you? Because Jesus is about to leave on with the rest of his ministry. And Jesus tells him in verse 19, no, no, no you stay here. Go home with your friends. The emphasis there is the man had some friends and some family and he could now go back and be with them. He could be restored to them. He's got dignity. They don't have to be ashamed that he's going to come to their front door. They can welcome him in because he's an upstanding person. He's now got dignity. And in the same spirit, here's a man who spent his days wandering the tombs, not not really doing anything productive for anybody. But now Jesus has given him a job. He tells me, he says, listen, go home to thy friends, verse 19. And tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And then what does the man do? In verse 20, what does he do? 
he departs, he goes away from Jesus, and he begins to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. He took his job seriously. He's now got a duty. He's got a responsibility. Jesus has given him a task, and he takes it seriously, and he gets about it. He's doing those things. What I need you to see on all this, and I hope you're seeing very clearly, I mean, not only that sin is not going to satisfy and you need Jesus to transform you, absolutely. But go all the way back to the beginning, the beginning of time, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1, all the way down to chapter 20, uh, verse 27. In fact, verse 28 is the verse I want you to emphasize, where God, he's made man and he's, he's made all the earth, he's made man, he's made woman, and it says that he blessed them. And he said to them, to the man and the woman, he says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that uh, moveth upon the earth. That's in chapter one of Genesis, verse 28. You were made, every person, there's not, there's not a, a person, a man, a woman, a child, uh, of any race, of any uh, ethnicity, of any background, of any raising, of any wealth. There's no exception. If you are a human being, this applies to you. You were made in the image of God, and you were made to reflect his glory in all of the earth. That's what he's saying there. That's what he's commissioned humanity as the crowning jewel of, of his creation. He has made humanity for that purpose. And from the beginning, you were given dominion to be in control so that we're not going off and doing foolishness, to, to have dignity, to be able to be accepted, certainly by God, but also by our fellow man, to be able to get along with each other. We should, we're, we're to have dignity. We were given that dignity. And he also says that I want you to subdue the earth. And of course, he gives them a garden to take care of. He's giving us a purpose, a duty from the beginning. But sin, and that's what is introduced in Genesis chapter 3, sin was purpose-built to take all that away. <laughs> that's what sin does. It comes in almost like a cancer. And that dominion that you had, it falls. That dignity that you had, it falls. That duty, that responsibility you had, it falls. Every one of those things that God has instilled in humanity Sin is purpose-built to remove all of that. But I want to give you a verse from one of, the, one of the minor prophets, Joel, in chapter 2, verses 25 and 26. I want to read it. I've got it written down here. Let me read this to you. Joel chapter 2, and verse 25 and 26. God is speaking, certainly speaking to his chosen people, the, the Israelite nation. He's speaking to the Jews. But I happen to believe that... Um, we, as even if we're not Jewish, that we can receive the blessings, uh, many of these blessings, in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Not replacing the Jewish people by any means, but we are grafted in. That's Jesus's language, that we're added to those blessings. And so I think I can take this uh, somewhat personal here, where he says to the Jewish nation, he says, I'm going to restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar. And the palmer worm, my great army, which I send among you, and ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. 
All of that is to say sin was purpose built to take away our dignity, our dominion, and our duty so that we are sitting there like this man, cutting ourselves, causing ourselves harm, hurting other people, making fools of ourselves, not in control of anything. But Jesus comes along and he restores all of the damage that sin causes Everything that the locust and the canker worm and all the bugs have eaten and taken away, he came along and he takes care of it all. Don't miss the fact that Jesus knows you, knew you at your worst. Even in this passage in verse two, when he comes, he, he comes onto the new shore or the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee in verse two. He's immediately met by this man and he's not met with this man in his good condition. He's met with this command, this man when he is controlled by a demon. And I want you to know that Jesus knows your worst. And he still loves you. And he stays. And he will transform you. And he did so at the cost of his own body and his own blood on the cross. That's what we're celebrating this week, the crucifixion. This is often referred to as Holy Week, this week that we're in right now. Because that's what Jesus did for our sins. He did that, and by by accepting his go, his offering, that's exactly what this man does. He he doesn't even understand, and even the even in in his sinful state, he's not even. I don't know if he's in control or the demons in control, but Jesus comes along and he gets that out of there because Jesus provides that kind of restoration for us. Jesus knows you at your worst, but he stays he stays and he loves you and he helps you. I think the exhortation, and I'm going to be done. The exhortation is. Whatever sin you're dealing with, if Jesus is your Savior, if you're a child of God, why won't you, certainly what 1 John 1, 9 says, confess that sin to him, but ultimately throw it on his shoulders, just like you were saved. You, you, put, your, you put it all on him. You said, it's on you, Lord. You've got to save me. Same way, Christian, if you're dealing with something, that some sin that besets you, throw it on his shoulders. Ask him for your, his help. Certainly, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do the best I can to do that. Not to say that we'll ever completely be shed of sin on this earth, on this side of heaven. But man, we don't have to give ourselves over to it. But no, you'll never be in control of it. You'll never be accepted in it. And you'll never be useful in it. But you have a Savior who will restore everything.